0: Hello, and welcome to As Yet Untold, a podcast that allows the space for deep conversations on individuals and topics you may think you already know everything about, but in fact, you don't. My name is Javed Siddiqui, and I am the host of this podcast. I'm also the president and CEO of the Hunt Institute, an education policy organization founded by four-term North Carolina Governor Jim Hunt. Today's guest has a long history serving in education, with her first role coming immediately after her graduation from college. Secretary Margaret Spellings began her career in education in Texas with an education reform commission and has never looked back. Some highlights of her career include serving as President George W. Bush's U.S. Secretary of Education from 2005 to 2009 and as president of the University of North Carolina System. Today, Secretary Spellings is president and CEO of Texas 2036, an organization focused on providing a stronger future for the state of Texas. Madam Secretary, welcome to As Yet Untold.
1: Javed, thanks for the invitation. And it's terrific to see you and to hear you and to to be uh, back in North Carolina again, I guess, if if only virtually.
0: Well, as I I like to do with my guests uh, to start our conversation, I always like to sort of learn a little bit about your background. So tell us a bit about your childhood.
1: Well, uh, I am the oldest of four children, uh, four daughters, uh, top to bottom, five years between us. One of my sisters like to, likes to say I had a staff of three by the age of five, uh, which I took as an endorsement of executive leadership. But uh, my dad uh, was in the oil and gas business. He actually did a stint uh, as a faculty member. Uh, he had a, got a Ph.D. at the University of Michigan in geology and taught for a while, but ultimately uh, got to Texas and involved in the oil and gas industry. My mother was a social worker. I uh, went to public schools in Houston, Texas, uh, have attended proudly Houston ISD, Houston Community College, and the University of Houston, as well as Texas A&M University. So I am a public school educated, uh, you know, all about it uh, person and, and, you know, had a great family life. Uh, and, you know, still very close to my to my sisters. My parents are both deceased, but you know that happens.
0: Well, thanks for that uh, opening. You did graduate from University of Houston with a degree in political science, and immediately began your work in the education sector. What drew you to to that field?
1: Well, it didn't take me long to figure out that if you were going to be involved in state government, that education was the place to be. You know, at, at, like most states have to spend more than half of its budget on public k-12 and public higher education and so if you want to be where the action is and in the issue that's perennial uh for our states and our nation something that everyone can relate to and has a stake in you know public education is the place to be so sometimes i say it chose me i'm glad it did but that's how that's how i got involved uh, because i worked for a member of the legislature who was very keen on these issues was on uh the house public education committee and. And the rest is history, as they say.
0: Well, speaking of working for politicals, uh, you have a long history with President George W. Bush, uh, having first served as his political director during his first gubernatorial campaign, and eventually as his U.S. Secretary of Education. You were also tapped to serve as the president of the George W. Bush Presidential Center after he left office. Uh, Tell us about your long relationship with the president.
1: Well, Javade, I know you feel this way about Governor Hunt. Uh, Also, but when people younger people ask me about career advice, I say, find a great boss uh, who will help you grow, who will have opportunities of his or her own and where you can ride along. And I think I'm probably the longest serving staff member for for President Bush having worked in his campaign initially all through his uh, time in public service and then, of course, at the Bush Center and beyond. In fact, I saw him last night for dinner. We're still really dear friends. And, you know, it's all about getting a great boss. And, you know, we had great colleagues. I treasure, absolutely treasure my time in in public service uh, with with him, uh, who I believe is really a great executive and a great leader like Governor Hunt.
0: Yeah, I know the uh, governor thinks a lot of the president, um, and they were a bit of a rival when they were both governors. So. Well, we should
1: we should tell that story. I first got to know Governor Hunt because they obviously served simultaneously as governors of two important states, and we were doing the same sorts of policy things. Bush obviously a Republican, Hunt obviously a Democrat, but it was about you know accountability and standards and great teachers and. Uh, You know, holding ourselves accountable for the achievement gap. And so we would get invited to be on panels at the National Governors Association or the National Conference of State Legislatures or organizations like that talking about the Texas story and the North Carolina story. Then the RAND Corporation did some really interesting research that basically said that Texas and North Carolina were the two bellwether states that were going in the right direction. Because of the kinds of policy approaches we had. And so we had a lot in common, uh, even though uh, from different sides of the aisle. And I think it's a, really an object lesson in how education can really bring people together around shared values and our shared aspirations for all of our, our students.
0: Yeah. And, and also in thinking about the world we live in today, this, the, the partisanship, uh, the hyper-partisan world. Uh, it's. I always, it wasn't we,
1: always like that. It wasn't always it re- like that. It really wasn't. So we can, we can get into some of that, too, on, uh, you know, working with Ted Kennedy and, and people like that around No Child Left Behind and so forth.
0: Yeah, we definitely will get into that with our fellows program. Um, so while serving as uh, secretary of education, you developed and impl- implemented international education agreements with uh, such countries as China, Russia and United Arab uh, Emirates. Why, why was this work important? What was, what was the sort of impetus behind this initiative?
1: Well, uh, as you will recall uh, you know nine eleven was a, a key uh, moment in the in the early days of the Bush presidential uh, presidency, and you know it was a time when we were gathering and uh, and and fostering uh, strong relationships all around the world and there's no better place to do that than around education, whether you're in the Emirates or in Asia or in Latin America or wherever uh, you're you know we all share aspirations for our children and we all know that the future of the of our nations you know rest on how good a job we do educating those those students and so we engaged in these partnerships all around the world another example is after 9/11 when we initially had security uh, issues and considerations to to uh, net out and to figure out um, with respect to international students and the like, you know, we lost market share to Australia and to the UK and other places. And so Condi Rice and I created these delegations of university presidents around the world to say we're we're open for business. We want and welcome international students. And again, with this calling card of the shared value around education and, and education attainment.
0: That's fascinating. You don't always think about things like that when you have a, a crisis like 9-11. So it's just level of initiative and intuition um, and innovation. So it's what made you a pretty cool secretary. Um, one interesting thing I uncovered uh, about you and researching for this episode was that while you were secretary, you were also a contestant on Celebrity Jeopardy and came in second. Uh, tell us about your decision to be on that show. and. What was that? What was it like being on that show?
1: It was so stressful and I, I got to know. Well, first of all, your audience need to know, needs to know there's a whole underground of Jeopardy enthusiasts. I among them uh, who, uh, you know, share tips and trade, you know, and, and trivia and whatnot, a- including a gentleman who uh, had won uh, Jeopardy and was an employee of the State Department. So somehow I discovered that this guy was was over there and had a coaching session with him. There's a lot of of buzzer technique here because in that day, if you press the buzzer too quick, it locks you out of the board and you go to the end of the line uh, trying to answer the question. And the person who won was uh, the guy who played, uh, who was one of the actors on uh, Laverne and Shirley. And he had been on uh, multiple times, very bright guy. Um, I lost to a Yale lawyer who was uh, on Hill Street Blues Uh, At at the time, so I didn't feel too bad. Uh, But anyway, it was a lot of fun. And I was, you know, deathly afraid of sports trivia and spent a lot of time uh, memorizing world capitals.
0: (laughs) I was on this morning uh, with uh, our friend MC Belk Pylon. Uh, Mm, She's actually going to be a guest on this podcast in a a few weeks. Uh, But you had the great fortune to to be working there. When I was at the Hunter City, you were at the uh, University of North Carolina System Office as president. Was also during a very particularly volatile, interesting time uh, in the state, um, especially for higher education. Uh, I know we you had some big wins, but what are your uh, proudest uh, accomplishments from that time uh, in the office? And is there anything you could have done differently, better?
1: Well, I think the the biggest accomplishment was getting uh, then a 32 member board aligned unanimously around a strategic plan that. Uh, really uh, relied on uh, data and transparency. And yet the unique mission of each institution certainly recognized that. And we created a framework where that was simple and understandable uh, for uh, our institutions really to thrive and to do what they do best. And it still has undergirded the work that continues to this day. I saw uh, some press recently that that UNC Greensboro you know, met all their uh, metrics on the, the five uh, priorities that they had set uniquely and had, had done it repeatedly. Uh, but it allows uh, the public to understand what they're getting for their money when they invest in, in higher education. It allows uh, higher ed executives like me to, to ma- help manage the enterprise, likewise, the chancellors. Um, and it, you know, it really puts in focus the priorities for a state and its most important asset, in, in my view. The University of North Carolina system, in this case, of developing people in a way that is convenient and affordable and accessible for them, which provides value for uh, their best future. And so um, I'm really proud of that work. I'm also proud, and of course, MC was hugely involved in it in the creation of what we called My Future NC, which also still exists, little, little double entendre there. Um, because, again, it builds on this idea that, that the future of North Carolina is, you know, rests on the, the, the way how good a job we do educating our people. And she is a visionary around those issues, has been a strong supporter of that. We all know, you know, there. Are, I, I take great interest in there are three states in the United States that grew during the pandemic, Florida, Texas and North Carolina. And that's not an accident. That's because we're creating the conditions for growth, for prosperity, for, um, you know, the kinds of conditions that will make our states thrive. And, and people are finding their way to places that do that.
0: Indeed they are. Well, in an interview with the 74, uh, you said, uh, my bumper sticker is to, make, is to make every high school a community college. Let's give every single student the opportunity to get a meaningful post-secondary or two-year credential while they're uh, in high school. Pandemic has shown a, a spotlight on the importance of a career in technical education. What districts, uh, w- w- what can districts do to support growth in this area?
1: Well, what obviously that was just kind of a simple way—the bumper sticker analogy of, of trying to say that you know affordability continues to be a, a big issue. Obviously, especially for our low-income students who often don't see themselves as college goers or credential getters, and so we need to bring that capacity into our High schools where our students are we need to bring you know mohammed to the mountain you know we talk about pathways and bridges that really go in one direction from high school into higher ed uh either community colleges or our, or our post-secondary institutions and we need those bridges to come back the other way too by making every high school a community college and and providing affordable relevant uh you know on on value uh opportunities for students so that they can build that base and then pursue, uh, you know, higher education uh, beyond uh, a po- uh, that associate's degree sort of level that we would aspire to give them in high school.
0: I think you're signed up again to be with us for a hunt Kane Fellows program. It's a program uh, named after Governor Hunt and Governor
1: Tom Kane. Um, I hope so. It's always yeah. a high watermark.
0: Yeah, well, and I know they love hearing from you, but as a do you feel a sense of responsibility to continue to give of your time, of your knowledge to future leaders of, of our country? I mean, it skits it back to that passion. Like, it,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, obviously, our, our Texas legislature is in the, its waning days uh, of meeting. Our legislature here in Texas meets two days, 140 days every two years. Most people think they should meet two days every 140 years, but they get in and get out. And, but um, You know, what I'm watching here in Texas and around the country is an erosion of that, really those those values, those principles that, you know, Governor Hunt and and Governor Bush, then Governor Bush held dear. And that is high expectations for every child, you know, standards and accountability and transparency. And and, you know, it was a coalition that was broadly supported by the civil rights community and the business community. And now the um, you know very conservative and uh, you know employee group organizations who typically had opposed some of those reforms are ascendant so we've got to rebuild that that coalition of people who understand what's at issue here and how we're going to do it especially as we consider investing these billions and billions of federal dollars in the aftermath of the pandemic to uh, hold ourselves accountable for the achievement of, of all of our Students, So, yes, uh, you know that I I, we're going to run out of gas here before too long to to debate and uh, we need to pass the baton to this next generation of leaders and read them in on the history, on the rationale, on the experience, on what we got right, what what we got wrong. And we owe it to the next generation uh, to help them, uh, you know, gain that experience. But we also owe it to the legacy of the work that has gone before uh to to create those uh those leaders that can carry the baton
0: uh, amen i think this pandemic i wonder if you have these same thoughts it's either going to be a moment where we look back and, and feel really proud about the, the foundation we laid or did did we will be really regretful of how maybe exposed we allowed the foundation to in regards to the erosion that has taken place these last few years you may I think back to uh, your former boss, President, the soft bigotry of low expectations, mm-hmm. yeah. and in the Heidler's pandemic last year, if you recall about a year ago, um, the spring. Actually, yeah, we were in the spring administration across of uh, these state assessments across the country, and in many states, uh, basically, were you know uh, waiving the assessments, and so there was no data points that really came in last year. Here, this year. A lot of those stakeholder groups were pushing to get those assessments waived again, and, and uh, many governors and the federal government obviously leaned in, and, and hopefully, I think, we'll mm-hmm. see those data points coming. Yep. But you mentioned, the co- you mentioned uh, something about civil rights groups, and this idea of having a coalition. The Black Caucus and folks like the NAACP, who were strong supporters of the accountability mo- movement for obvious reasons, uh, mm-hmm. they were... Sh- this whole system was designed to shine a light on kids that otherwise may have not been, you know, thought, thought about.
1: Left behind, as some, some might have said.
0: So what's the path forward? I mean, it, how do you think this moment, this pandemic and the suspension of assessments last year, the, the desire, the strong desire for, you know, removing more assessments? and remo- How do you think this, this moment is going to impact the work?
1: Well, I think it's very, very worrisome. As I like to say we need to care enough to find out, i.e. test, how our students are doing. And we know that, that some, you know, many students have, uh, have lost ground. Others have, you know, stood still and still others have, have thrived uh, because they are, you know, equipped to do, uh, you know, effective learning virtually and the like. So we need to care enough to find out. Uh, you know, how we think about gathering data and how we think about, you know, school ratings and accountability and the consequences. I mean, those are really two different uh, discussions or policy decisions. So absolutely, we need, we need assessment data, we need information, because we need to resource the problem. We all have very significant federal resources uh, coming our way. I saw Governor Cooper uh, lay out kind of a game plan about the use of some of those federal resources. That's great. But, you know, how are we going to spend them? I mean, we need extra time. We need intensive tutoring. We need summer school. We need, you know, more technology, more broadband ubiquity. We need teachers who know how to how to use it. We need to help them garner those skills, et cetera. So, you know, our prescription for the cure uh, will be informed by what the needs are. And, and we, you know, have to care enough to find out. Yeah, All, all, of, that. all yeah. of that. And then some. <laughs> and then some, yeah. Uh,
0: well, I'd be uh, remiss not to talk about your current work as the presidency of, the Tex- of Texas 2036, an organization founded on creating a stronger Texas economy and infrastructure. But this past winter, uh, uh, we, we, especially folks like me that don't live in Texas, uh, national media, uh, saw some drastic weather with some significant impact on the existing infrastructure in Texas. What have you taken away from that experience and how are you applying it to your work as you uh, try to move Texas forward?
1: Well, it was uh, a good example, a good reminder that we have to think not just about the issues of our our day, but we have to think long term about the future and, and plan for the future and plan for risk and plan for events like that, and so forth. And so um, Texas 2036 at 2036 is the bicentennial of Texas is essentially a hook about thinking long-term, that is the next 15 years, about these most important issues of infrastructure and natural resources, education, health, justice, and safety, and and government performance, how well we run these public sector enterprises that, that frankly, uh, public trust has eroded around, and how we, you know, need to restore confidence in, you know, processing unemployment claims or understanding COVID data or getting a vaccine appointment or uh, finding affordable pathways into higher ed, you know, on and on. So we are building civic demand, as I like to call it, outside of government for our policymakers to think long term and to build that constituency around around these big, big issues. You know, we've all seen, uh, whether it's, you know, kind of We've had debates around uh, the country this year around uh, transgender students and sports and, you know, various uh, other things. You know, we're about to enact a permitless carry. Uh, Texans will be able to carry guns without um, without a permit or without training. And, you know, these issues, I don't mean to minimize them are important to many constituencies. But, you know, the people I'm talking to, you know, want to know especially about their schools and their access to health care and their roads and their electric infrastructure. And, you know, these things that are um, really longer term thinking on the most important things.
0: So I had a chance to meet you when I worked for Governor McDonald, uh, it was in this cabinet. I remember. You came down and did a great speech at our K-12 summit. Uh, yeah. Closely followed your career since I remember, at, <laughs> and then
1: we got to work together.
0: And then we got to work together. But yeah. I've been a big fan of, of yours and your work and and, and, and your passion. But uh, similarly, Governor Hunt has a very similar passion as we uh, sort of talked about at the onset of this conversation. Where he's in his he's in his mid 80s now. Uh, so where where do you see yourself when you're in your mid 80s? Where does that passion come oh, from? Lord. Where does that fuel come <laughs> from? Because you, you mean I've got, another, I've got another I've got another
1: 20 something years of this. Oh, I would I would have said thirty, maybe. <laughs> uh, that's nice. Well, you know, I, I do. I think we all get a, a bug, and you've got it too. That you understand that this is what will define our nation, and I really do. I, I, you know, feel so strongly about it that, um, you know, this is the coin of the realm, and we can use this COVID moment as a wake up call to act on what we all have known and seen and, uh, and tolerated, frankly, for too long, these gaps, these inequities and whatnot, um, and address them. Uh, resources are not going to be the issue that they have been in times past with the federal support that will be there. Uh, but, you know, I really believe that, you know, our country cannot be great without uh, our, our students being well-educated to high levels, and I mean all of them.
0: Well, you mentioned this COVID moment. Uh, uh, Governor Bob Wise and I are working on a, a project together around co- this uh, COVID constituency. Uh, and we talked about this once in a generation money coming to mm-hmm. uh, state, you know, go- governor's office, certainly state superintendents, state commissioners of higher education. Uh, many of whom, and because uh, I've been on the phone with countless soups and commissioners in this past couple of months, they're, they're struggling just because they don't have the capacity to the staff, just to pure staffing, to spend, to think about how to spend these dollars. What advice would you offer them uh, as they, you know, so they have deadlines on these dollars, I mean, millions and millions of dollars. Uh, It sort of reminds me of the movie Brewster's Millions. Like, Mm
1: -hmm. they're going to be struggling
0: to spend it all. And so how do they take advantage of this once in a sort of generation opportunity?
1: Well, and we're, we're uh, involved in something here at Texas 2036 that we're trying to do in Texas, and that is create a research to practice uh, consortium. We're calling it an RP3, RP3 research policy practice uh, partnership, and that is to engage our researchers in our universities. Uh, the truth is we know how to teach our young people to read and to do math, to cipher and so how do we make sure that our higher ed uh, institutions are bringing, bringing those best techniques whether they're academic or social and emotional into our classrooms so that we don't waste these resources how do we use uh, their their expertise to gather data to harness the data to use the data to make sure that these resources are targeted around our greatest needs and so you know it's time to put all hands on deck you know often in 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 our you know there's a not enough connection between the work that's going on in higher education around education and I mean our education schools and what's happening in the field and i saw that you'll recall you know commissioned that work around our teacher prep programs university of north carolina runs 17 of them it's the number one producer of of teachers in north carolina but you know a lot of variety around who did that you know well and who did that less well and so Again, we need to harness that that capacity in our public universities to help solve for this great moment.
0: Well, Secretary Spellings, as always, uh, we remain grateful for your partnership and your support. I really appreciate you and thank you for joining me on our podcast.
1: Javade, great to see you. I look forward to being with you in real life soon.
0: <laughs> well, listeners, thank you for tuning in. To learn more about the Hunt Institute, please visit our website at hunt-institute.org. Until next time, I'm Javade City.